Hello, everyone. This is Patrick Chavis, and you are here at LA Theater, uh, LA Theater Bites.com, and we are t- having a podcast discussion about all the plays and all the wonderful things that happened in 2018. I am here with Paul Rush. I am here with Carrie Cass. I am here with Matthew Robinson, who's a usual critic um, on our website. So, everyone, um, uh, maybe you could start first, Carrie. Um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, so, uh, yeah, uh, what, what, do you, what do you do exactly? Uh, I, like you said, I'm a playwright, and yeah, I mean, this past year I had a show at the Hollywood Fringe Festival called Wounded. I wrote for Wicked Lit, which is an immersive theater experience that happens in a mausoleum. I had a different show go on at Force of Nature Productions, and the play that was at Fringe Wounded got invited to New York to do a couple of weeks off Broadway at the Soho Playhouse, so I just got back from that, so... Uh, that's what I've been up to this year. Okay. Yeah. And Paul, who um, tell us a little about yourself. Um, what have, what have you? What exactly do you do? As far, um, as, as, far as Los Angeles theater. As far as Los Angeles theater. Yeah, yeah. LA theater. Let's start there. Yeah. Um, I am the artistic director for the Sixty Six Theater Company out of West Hollywood, um, and I produce and I direct, and occasionally when they let me, I act. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Thanks, everyone, for being here yeah. with us. We kind of wanted to do a retrospective on 2018. A lot of stuff happened in the L.A. theater community this year. Some things are kind of moving forward, some people would say. Some people would say things are regressing. Kind of wanted to get your opinion on it and also hear kind of about what you guys have both done this, this year. year. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so this year, sorry, I think I jumped a gun a little bit um, before. Yeah. yeah. With uh, my first show this year was Wounded, which yes. received a grant to be done at the Hollywood Fringe Festival this year. Nice. Um, yeah, and that went really well and got invited to the Fringe Encore series in New York City, where I just did uh, some performances. After that, I wrote for Wicked Lit, which is an immersive theater experience. I was just in its 10th year, um, where it goes out of a mausoleum in Altadena, Mountain View Mausoleum, so they do adaptations of literary horror classics in an actual mausoleum. So I wrote something for them called Tigo Kane and the Corpse. And then most recently in L.A., uh, my play Grey People, which was a full-length dark comedy, I would call it. <laughs> yeah, Matt's odd. Um, was done at Force of Nature Productions, and that one was about three people out in the woods. They've just uh, dug this giant hole and they're waiting for some sort of package and you find out what it is hilarity ensues and then people get their throats cut the end um, <laughs> but it's <Yeah>. funny yeah. <laughs> <laughs> along the way everybody laughs until they can't anymore right exactly because their throats are cut yeah you can't laugh <laughs> gave, you a, gave you a second smile yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so as far as uh, so wounded like yeah. how um, were you happy with uh, the response response so far at the Hollywood Fringe. How, how was it? How yeah, it? the response was really good. Uh, we sold out the whole run, did uh, Producers Encore, got nominated for Top of the Fringe and a bunch of other awards, that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, the, was, the response was really positive. Uh, my, you know, my biggest takeaway from the Fringe, which I really liked, is I had heard about Fringe before, but I hadn't really been involved, and the sense of community was one of the things I enjoyed most about it. You just meet all these other really great artists who are very passionate about their work, but also super supportive of your work, because there's this feeling of camaraderie of all being in it together. So um, that was probably my greatest joy that I took away from the Fringe Festival, you know, meeting people like Matt 
and uh, that sort of thing. So, yeah. yeah. Why did you um, choose the French Festival to, to display w- Wounded? Why, why, why didn't you use another means? Well, why, why did you think this was the best choice, I, the best option? I wish I had a better reason, but I received a grant specifically for the Fringe. But I will say the reason why I thought that piece could work to be considered for the grant is because it was a three-character show. It was only one set, and it specifically requires a sense of claustrophobia for the show to work. And so the small venues that tend to be um, the main places you can rent out for Fringe made sense for it. It's not like trying to do a giant musical in the Fountain Theater 50-seat space where it's just going to feel awkward no matter how good the production is unless you pull off something like I heard the Sprint Awakening there was just really good but it's hard yeah it's hard though and so I thought that that piece in particular really fit the confines of a fringe space well in a way where it felt intentional and not like oh all they could get was a small theater yeah 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 what was uh, wounded about like what's the what was the kind of uh, topic in the story yeah it's about a woman who is a full-time caregiver to her husband who was severely mentally and physically injured in the war and it's about when she for the first time is really considering having a romantic relationship outside of the marriage while still taking care of her husband so it's about the questions of the loyalties and responsibilities you owe your spouse when they stop being the person you married yeah how would um Why did you write a story like that? (laughs) What inspires a story like that? Um, Does this come from from an experience that you've had in your life? That you'd write a story like this? Well, the the original um, (laughs) impetus was they are having a wonderful time over there. uh, (laughs) I'm wondering, like, are we getting good sound? It should be. It should be fine. Okay. Cool. Uh, The original impetus was I was actually just watching an interview on TV with a woman who was a caregiver for her husband who had been injured in the war. And what was fascinating to me, at least how I remember it, is she wasn't really referred to by her name. She wasn't even referred to as so-and-so's wife. She was just referred to as caregiver. So to me, the idea that your identity could be changed for you in a single event, an event that you're not even directly a part of, was really fascinating for me as a jumping off point. From there, for a reason, as I did more research, that I thought that I could potentially have a way into the story emotionally uh, was because I've been a caregiver to my mom. I also had my own PTSD I was dealing with. So while it wasn't comparable exactly to the situations in the play, it gave me enough of a jumping off point that I was like, okay, I feel like I at least have enough of a seed to grow from in terms of figuring out who these characters are. Oh. Yeah. So I, I was out talking to you earlier, and you were telling me you're not from Los Angeles, you're from, actually from New York, upstate New York, and you came to Los Angeles, um, and, but you were doing work in New York. Um, what would you say is um, the difference as far as um, trying to see one of your plays produced out here as opposed to New York? Do you feel like there's a difference or, or, or anything like that? I mean, you decided to come here to Los Angeles. Yeah, to be honest, I didn't actually start playwriting until I had moved here. Um, I was actually... so weird. New York. York. Right. (laughs) And you're like, let's go to Los Angeles where they do movies. Yes. Well, I started writing plays. Yeah. Actually, how I got here was I went to Syracuse University for acting. I moved to New York in order to act. I really wasn't into it. I got invited out here on a fellowship from Aaron Sorkin because he's another Syracuse grad. And I just really loved the feel of it compared to New York City. So I came out here to act. 
still wasn't really liking it, so at that point I switched to screenwriting, and that was going fine, but I decided, you know, if I'm going to write, I should start off by practicing with what with the world that I know best, the medium I know best, which is playwright, uh, which is theater. So I tried playwriting, and ironically, you know, I moved out to LA in order to screenwrite, and all the money I've made so far has been in playwriting. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. There you go. Yeah. Okay. Um, do you um, do you have any theories about why you're finding more success as far as playwriting in the, in Los Angeles as opposed to? screenwriting or, or uh, of the other mediums. Uh, is there something about the theater community in Los Angeles that, that just provides more opportunity, maybe? Well, I think, you know, honestly, I, I do think it sort of helps to be a bigger fish in a smaller pond of the theater community. Like, a lot of my money has been made off of writing for a children's musical theater publishing company, and that company was based in New York, and then they moved out here, and so um, I actually just saw an ad on Playbill where they were looking for a book writer for musicals, and like I had 250 cast albums by the time I was in high school, and I was wow. very proud of it. Wow. <laughs> I was that kid. Yeah, yeah. Um, so... You know, I reached out to them because they were looking for someone actually local because the guy who runs the company is also the main composer, so he wanted someone that he could actually work with in person. And at least as far as people who managed to find that ad to reach out to him, like, you know, I'm really happy with the shows we've come up with. There have been almost 200 productions of them in the year and a half I've worked for him. But, um, yeah, there wasn't a ton of competition. <laughs> yeah. For that job here compared to in New York City where everyone and their grandmother is a book writer and lyricist. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, but as far as... And also the... But that's more like just jobs in the theater world. As far as what you were asking about, the theater community itself, yeah. I do... Compared to my experience in New York, I will say it felt... A little friendlier and more open. There's probably people that would uh, flog me for saying that, but <laughs> New York City, in my experience, there's a bit more of a mentality of, you know, we're the best and so you have to prove yourself. While in LA, because most people are out here to try to make their living off of TV film, there's more of an acceptance generally that theater is about the love of it, the art of it, rather than, you know, we're rather than it being about, like, we're going to have the next Broadway show sort yeah. of thing. And so there's, I found more of an openness, more of a love of just getting to do the art out here compared to New York a little bit, if that makes sense. It makes it, yeah, it, uh, yeah. it makes plenty of sense. So, um, Paul, if, if, um, so you've been, you've been sitting here with, like, uh, let, tell us a little bit about uh, your experience, uh, you're, you're a director, producer, your experience this year, 2018, any shows that you produced or directed that really stood out to you that you, you really enjoyed doing? Um, yeah, um, I, I produced three full plays this year and two series of one acts. Yeah. Um, and I directed two of the plays this year. Okay. Um, the first one was Jesus Hop the A Train by um, Stephen. I, you saw, the, I saw, I saw that production. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that was a wonderful experience. It was just a really great experience where I got extremely fortunate with the cast that I got. Just professional actors who just showed up. Nobody was late ever. <laughs> you know? Um, they didn't... I believe that two of my actors didn't even exchange phone numbers. They just... They were there and they were working. I mean, it was 
wonderful. There yeah, is yeah. there is no theater drama except for on the stage, which was just an exceptional that's experience. Where, that's where it's supposed to be. Yeah, right. It was yeah. it was really just a, a really wonderful uh, production from start to finish, and that kind of set me up to fail in other places because because <laughs> <laughs> like oh I can do this. Yeah. Um, well, you're producing and directing, so um, yeah. that's 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 two big jobs. You're, yeah. you're deciding I'm going to do both of those jobs. How, does does it ever? Do you ever run into a situation where you're like, man, I wish I had someone that was producing so I could just focus on just directing? Always. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. but that's working in theater. That's, that's, and that's, it doesn't matter what role you're doing; you're doing more than one. More than um, one thing. Yeah. Yeah. You're just always. So you. Oh, so you basically your whole time, your whole experience as far as theater, you're always. All you've you've had this experience of always having to have more than one hat all the time. Yeah. I mean, I've, you've just learned that. Yeah, you. I mean, I think that you kind of accept it. You, yeah. you know, there's a general. And we were talking about communities earlier, and theater is a community anyway. Regardless, it's like when as soon as you start onto a production, if somebody needs help with something, you just you do it. You know, very rarely have I had somebody say that's not my job. And when somebody does say that's not my job, it's like a little bit of a trigger for me, being like, okay, then this isn't the place for you. <laughs> you know, and they might, yeah, yeah. Very, they might very well be right that this isn't their job, but yeah. it's also not the point of, of theater for, for my team and myself. Right. Yeah. The, the, what, what would, in a clear way, what would you say the job of theater is? Um, yeah, it's I'd, not to say, not, sure. don't do this, for sure, right? Um, for my theater company and the people that we work with, we have focused exponentially on our guest experience. Yeah. That's why we started doing it. That's why we continue to do it. And that's really what we like doing. Um, I've been in L.A. for eight years now, coming from the East Coast. And my first experience in L.A. was this very look-at-me mentality see me in this watch me in this I'm in this thing follow my Instagram follow this my Twitter handle you know just everybody wants to be looked at and that's okay I, I do get it yeah And but I also had a really strong feeling that we were forgetting about the people who are actually looking at it and watching it the audience and I feel yeah in the audience yes yeah. so I strongly strongly believe that theater is for the audience but I strongly believe that all art is for their audience um, the artist gets a lot from it but I believe it is generally for the people who consume it do you feel like um, some? It sounds so. It sounds like sometimes you think that, and I, I don't know if you're talking about anyone specific, but do you think that theater sometimes can get a little too egotistical? I guess egotistical could be the word. Where yeah, you're you're thinking yeah, you're not thinking of the audience. You're thinking of um, just spreading your message more. I, I think to, uh, like you know you, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. What yeah. I'm trying to say is I think sometimes. They, they might completely the artist might completely say I don't care about the audience I'm just going to express how I feel and put it on the stage and if the audience if it's not entertaining or the audience doesn't like it That's it doesn't that. matter I'm going to send it I'm going to, it's on them I'm going to send it out Is it, would you disagree with this philosophy would you this, this idea because it's kind of going against this idea of doing something for the audience, something the audience would like. Would you be against something like that? This no, I'm not saying that because all audiences you can't guarantee that the audience is going to get what they want from it. You know, that might not be the intention of the piece, but your, the intention of the piece might be for them to feel something that's not so cathartic. It might be for them to feel something visceral or hurtful or all these things. But as long as it's done for that intention, that I don't mind. I think that sometimes the art form can lend itself to ego 
you know, for sure, and you have to have a little bit of that to even get up on stage or to put words on a page or to think that you can do anything. You have to have that to protect yourself. Yeah. Um, but what I had found is that sometimes, especially in theater where it's really for the actors, you know, the actors and the, and the writers just really, it's really their medium. Um, they have to approach it so singularly. You know, they have to bring themselves to it so completely that sometimes you forget that there is an audience there, you know, because they are dealing with the stuff that they have to deal with. Um, but we try to really make a point to remind our cast and our crew and, and directors and producers, whoever's involved, that, yo, listen, we know that you're doing everything that you can to bring yourself to this completely, but it's not just for you. Yeah, you know? yeah. What was um, what was one of your? You, you did two shows. You said I, I saw both of my favorite. Yeah, I yeah. think you did Blue Search too. You directed that. I one? did. Yeah. Yeah, I really liked Blue Search. That was yeah, a very good, very good show. Thank um, you. Which one? Which show between Jesus and uh, or Jesus? <laughs> either one. Either one. Or, or, or Blue Search. Which one did you enjoy directing the most? And which one kind of it spoke to you the most? You know, it, it was kind of <laughs> we we dual casted Blue Surge, which was. I noticed Fun. that. <laughs> I'm going to let you know, I think I've mentioned it in one of my views, I hate it when people do that. But, but, it's, uh, but it's, it's perfectly fine. With, I, only, I only hate it because it's, it's, it's tough for me because sure. it's like, well, now, are, I, now I have to go to your show twice? And yes, see you it do. Twice? <laughs> or I'm just going to get one review and that's only going to be reviewed on one, for one thing. It's, 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 it's completely just a hate. hate yeah, it's, it has, it's nothing against it. Yeah. And, I, and I completely get it if you have a good cast and you want to do the same story. I mean, it, that's, you're going to do it. It protects the production, way. especially in Los Angeles when we, we try to... I mean, we focus so heavily on the story and we don't... We don't cast from our theater company. We always cast from wherever we need to. Yeah. Um, and a lot of our actors book work. They right. book work all the time. So right. instead of doing understudy roles, which is very hard to get to get the production to where you want it to be, we found that dual casting helps us. So let's say that Joe in this cast books a series regular. We, we can't tell him no. <laughs> it's like he's going to take it, you know? Yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, so we bring Joe in from the other cast, and it goes vice versa. Um, and it's just really helped us protect our productions. Right? Yeah. Um, Understandable. Uh, going back to your question about uh, the experiences, yeah. I really enjoyed both of them for completely different reasons. Uh, Jesus hopped the A-Train because I was working with some actors who were just... It was exciting for me to watch them as a director. Yeah. And that's just, that's just fun, you know, when you can show up to rehearsal and you can just give them a world and let them live in it. And luckily, that's the kind of show where they're trapped in cages, so you don't have to worry about walking too much. You know, they can't, <laughs> they can't leave their cells. Um, which was just, was just a really wonderful experience to see them take exceptional writing and just, you know, blow a world out of it. And then with Blue Surge... It was a complete opposite um, experience because this one didn't have a driving plot. You know, no one is being sent to the executioner's chair. Nobody is dying of cancer. Nobody is being murdered. You know, that the plot isn't exponential. It's it's a slice of life. Yeah. Um, and to be able to take that slice of life and and boil it down and, and still have it be entertaining and scary and funny and sad and all these all these things that you try to do on stage was really wonderful. And I was when I first got it, and I was asked to direct it. Um, I was like, man, I don't. I don't it's like 
where's the plot? <laughs> you know, when does <laughs> when does the hammer drop? You, you know, and yeah. And, but it was really fun to um, again to work with actors who just got it and were ready to ready to dig in. Yeah. Um, as far as uh, the actors, some of the actors that you think that that were just made you excited to see perform sometimes uh, do you have any names of any of these actors that oh for sure you know I'm gonna leave a couple out and then they're gonna be mad I'm gonna Ah. forget people no I'm kidding I I love all my I love all my actors this is Um, I've I worked with um, I used to be a member of the of the group theater here in Los Angeles before um, before it um, fell apart Um, and I met a gentleman there Gerald who was played um uh, Lucius and Jesus Oh yes, yeah. uh, an exceptional actor, older actor. He's just—he looks like he's cut from stone, you, you know. And he's just kind of—I know exactly. <laughs> you know, I, like he's a very distinctive face. Yeah. I mean, I would—I I would notice him anywhere. Yeah. Any, any place. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, when yeah. He, he like looks at you and he looks at you. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're like, oh man, what do you want? You want? You want? You want my kid? I don't have one, but I'll give him to you when I do. Um, you know, but he's a. Uh, he was just a. Uh, he was in, you know. He was just completely in, with no questions. wasn't worried. He was just like, I, I got to play this character, and he was going for it. Um, and then the gentleman uh, Eddie, um, who's a member of my theater, played the guard in Jesus Hop the Atrium. He was one of my favorite parts of that show. <laughs> Eddie Alfano, I think. Yeah. Yeah, very, Eddie Alfano. He was very. He was. He was solid in that show. I was, I, would, I was very talking about your double casting. I was. I liked him so much in that show. I was curious, man. That's why I don't like this double casting. Because I was like, man, I wonder what the show Lou Surge would have been like with his acting in that role. It would have been so different. I, I watched the show with you. Yes, yes. And I, was, I, was, I remember thinking after watching the show, I was like, man, I wonder how the show would have been with him. You wanted to come back and see it again, very, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, I, just didn't have the time. I didn't have the time to make two shows. Yeah, yeah, but it would have been interesting to, yeah. see, to see his take on that, yeah. on that role. Because he seems, he seems like the kind of guy he is. He's like this really muscular, big guy. Yeah. Just him, his look versus your look, mm-hmm. so drastically different. It almost changes kind of your feeling of the character. Maybe it could. It, 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 it could. It could really change your thing. So, yeah, it's like... Uh, yeah, I was. Yeah, it'd be very interesting. I wish I wish I would have seen that <laughs> that, that version. I would have, it would have been interesting to yeah. see, see see how things would have changed with how he took the character, where he would have taken right. the character. Right, absolutely. And, and Eddie is uh, Eddie Alfano is a phenomenal actor and also a very giving person. Like he just he gives his time um, to whatever project he's on. Yeah. Um, so when we blind auditioned him for Jesus Off the A Train. He came in and killed it, and I had never worked with him before. About two weeks into our rehearsal for Jesus was off the A-Train, I went up to him, and I was like, Eddie, what show have you always wanted to do that you've never gotten the opportunity to? And without, without hesitation, he said Blue Surge. And I was like, okay. Was done. the idea from him? The idea was from him. The idea came from him? Yeah. Wow, interesting. Yeah. So it's... And I've had experiences like that with other uh, Whitney Anderson, who was one of our other actors in, in Blue Surge. Um, I was doing, uh, helping a project for them called um, Extremities. Um, and I was working on their project, and she was just an exceptional worker. And whenever I work with exceptional workers, I want to take them. 
Right. You know what I mean? I want to be like, you're now mine, and let's go and let's go do some art together. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Harry did that because I, I saw Wounded and I saw great people. You had, you had the same actor was playing two very different parts. Yes. And like, I'm interested to hear from both of you. How do you see them when you're when you're talking to them? I, I mean, I know as my own self, like as a director and writer, but. You know, is it typical? Do you choose because, like you're saying, these people might get like jobs the last second? Do you get married to this idea? Do you just know that this person like it doesn't matter? Do you have that actors like doesn't matter what the genre, what the part is? I know there's they could probably very least be squeezed in or an understudy for this production. Like, how does that relationship form, and what's gratifying, and perhaps if you want to answer, what's dangerous about it? <laughs> I. I'm very big on uh, the actor you're referring to is Kyle Feltz, who's a wonderful actor. Yeah, he was in Wounded originally for me, and um, and you know he auditioned for that. He nailed the callback. He was absolutely amazing. And I had had him in mind for great people, but I am always very big on making actors audition personally, even when I know they're really good, because I act as well and I feel the same way. I'm like. You know, I don't... Yes, it's great when you get along with a person, and he's wonderful. He has a fantastic personality. He's one of the hardest workers I've ever met. But at the same time, you're, you're like, you know, the story that's being told on stage isn't the story of, hey, look, me and my best friend. Yeah, like, it's the story of this character, and I want the best person who can play that character. And so, for gray people, um, he still had to come in. He still did the callbacks we made him read like probably like 12 to 15 times the poor guy <laughs> he was there for hours and oh, yeah and you know he once again showed that he's willing to put in the work absolutely dedicated to it and he was once again fantastic and i had a feeling he would be but yeah every time you want to make sure you have the best person for that role as far as telling the story. Oh, you're not even the producer. You're usually the playwright and the writer, but you. But as a writer, you still feel like you, you want to have that kind of touch out to the production to know you have quality going on. Yeah. Um, or, were wounded, you, or were you the producer? Wounded I produced. Were, wounded I was the producer. And then with great people, it was the director, Sebastian Munoz, who directed. But he and I are friends. And since it was the premiere production of it, like we went in knowing that I would be very actively involved. Do you, th um, do you think writers should be actively involved in the production? Or do you think they just need to write and just kind of... Let it, I think let it, let it kind of go. I think the premiere production you should be involved. I think you need to very much respect the relationship with the director. Like I'm very big on always making sure that the directions to the actor go through the director. Like the playwright should not get in the way of that. Otherwise, you muddy the waters. Especially if mommy and daddy are disagreeing on something and the actors want to please both. I've seen it go south so many times. <laughs> but I do think for that initial premiere production of the show, the playwright should be involved because, you know, when it's up on stage, there are going to be things that didn't, that you weren't aware of when you were writing it on the page, like lines you don't need or stuff you have to clarify or just because an actor is doing a great job of conveying so much, you realize, oh, I can cut half a page of dialogue because the one word that he said, like, conveys all of that without this long, ridiculous monologue that I gave them. So I think for that initial production, yeah. I'm going to hold for sirens. Yeah, that's so <laughs> okay. 
you're getting the everyone here. We're getting the live. We're getting the live <laughs> kind of ambiance of, of, of town life with this podcast. So, just, so enjoy the extra dra- added drama. <laughs> 2018 was a pretty dramatic year, and so is this podcast. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I do think for the initial production, as long as the playwright is able to respect everyone's different roles. There are too many playwrights that try to be the director, and if you insist on that, then you should just direct your own piece and own up to it, and there are a couple of playwrights who do that very well. Oftentimes, it goes south incredibly quickly because it's much better to have that extra pair of eyes looking at everything, and you're often way too close to the piece itself to know the best way to... Um, convey what you're looking for it's to almost, actors. It's almost like that, like, with, with me, uh, I'm not, I'm a, I'm a writer in some ways, not, mm. not in, like, in, like, a, in a creative way, but, like, you know, like, news and stuff like that, journalism and stuff, mm. and, um, yeah, that, it's, it's, it's just that kind of, like, you've been looking at this, you've been writing something, and you've been reading it over and over again, and you're like, oh, it's perfect, it's perfect, and then you send it out, and then some, someone else sees it, and you're like, you missed it because you just you keep reading it, and you keep reading it the right way in your head. Yes, right. And, and like, but it wasn't there on the paper. <laughs> yeah, see yeah. It, like that, that's one of the most frustrating things ever. <laughs> yeah, and if I tried to direct my own stuff, like I know the end result I'm looking for, but if I tried to say that to the actors without giving them them the chance of going on that journey through, sometimes a director would you know, have them do the exact opposite just to get that out of their system and have them learn, oh, that isn't the right way to do it and lead them down the path of getting to a version that did work, which sometimes was different from what I had in my head. But um, I I do think it it can be dangerous for playwrights to direct themselves. I do think after the initial production, if a playwright just keeps wanting to watch every single production of the show that's done, if, you know with any luck it actually gets several productions other theaters you can spend the rest of your life just rewriting and tweaking the same piece over and over and over again rather than moving on so i think after that first production you should just let your baby be and either people want to do it or they won't but yeah i think for that first one the playwright should be there yeah does that change as the artistic direct does that give you a different perspective on kind of what he says or is it kind of you you both are in sync with that um there are there are definitely times when there are definitely times when I have to attach a an actor to our show. Like this is uh, Gerald for Jesus off the A train. This is just like you know this is gonna he's gonna be Lucius, and that's no there's no reason why to audition anybody else for this. I don't want to waste somebody's time. I, I really don't. <clears throat> I don't want to waste his time. I don't want to waste other actors' time just to come in him and have him troop around. Um, but I try to audition as many roles as possible. Absolutely. Absolutely. Not only does it help, as you said, keep everybody on their toes and see who works for it, and you also get introduced to people, you know, who you might not have worked before. Um, I directed a play called Seascape with Sharks and Dancer a couple years ago. Uh, auditioned this actress, uh, Hilti Bowen, who is phenomenal, phenomenal. She was in Jesus. She was in Jesus, She yes. was in Jesus, yeah, yes. Was, and I, I auditioned her for Seascape. She didn't get that part, but I liked her so much that... I, I liked her so much, and she came and actually saw the show later, which to me was a big sign of somebody who didn't get the part and still came and saw the show. You know, that, that meant a lot. Um, and we had a great conversation, and, and she came in, auditioned for Jesus Hop the A-Train, and that was it. She did a great job. Um, 
So it's just, you know, for me it's a testament to see when actors show up for auditions and, and really, especially in theater, you know, in, in, in L.A., when people, when people actually show up for theater auditions in L.A., it's wonderful. It's, <laughs> it's really wonderful. Um, what's, what has your experience been as far as, now that you're bringing this up, the auditions, theater auditions in Los Angeles, because this is a thing, what is, um, what is how, what's your feeling about theater auditions in L.A.? Is it, do you feel like, do people show up a lot of, do you get a lot of people showing up? Or? Um, we are now. My, my theater company is pretty new. It's pretty young, so at first it was pretty rough. It was really dragging my own friends, being like, "Come to the, come to this audition," you know. And and I got pretty fortunate where I have a really nice relationship with a casting director, Thomas Sullivan, who's a wonderful casting director. Um, and he did me a favor when we first started and, and hosted our first couple of sessions. And now he's on our board, on our advisory board, and now does all of our aud- auditions. But we needed we needed that support at the very beginning because it was rough. It was tough. Do you think? Uh, do you think it's it's that thing of there's a lot of there's I mean Los Angeles full of actors. Yeah. But you think is it um, you, is it just uh, what the reputation that people want to be in just they just want to do TV they just want to do film they don't want to do theater. Well, what, um, what, what I don't. Is, what is that? I don't. I don't see that. I mean, it's there are amazing actors in LA. Like, I know. We're just, I, I, I know. <laughs> I, I know. I've definitely seen them. This is definitely yeah, the case. Okay. But I'm just talking about you said you're having trouble getting actors to come. Is this, is this Mostly, maybe just because you were new. I think that was. A, I think that was a lot of it. I also think that um, the commitment, the theater commitment, is so strenuous. I mean, theater takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of time. It's four-hour rehearsals. It's three to four days a week. It's um, you're taking six weeks if you're lucky out, out of your six weekends away from your life. You know, it's a really, it's a time commitment. It's yeah. a huge time commitment. Right. It's not like, uh, it's not like, all right, sh-. and I'm not trying to say it's easy for filming, filming because I can't act for anything. So I really appreciate it. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, yeah, it's not like, all right, let's record this and then I'm done. I've done it, right? Yep. No, right. It's, yeah. it's next day. Yeah. Do it again and again and again. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's a it's, real, it's def- yeah. but the, the theater the artists are too. Oh, right? completely! It's so com- different. Completely acting different. for acting for the camera, as far as act, acting for stage and trying to project so people hear you. Yeah. So it's a different situation, right? It's you. You do learn it very quickly. I mean, you put yourself on set once, and you learn very fast what you can and can't do. Same thing with the theater. You put yourself on stage once, you'll learn pretty quickly about what you can and can't do. Um, but the theater artists are here. I know they are because I keep finding them, you know, and they keep finding us. Yes. Um, and that's wonderful because like people like Eddie, people like Hilti, people like Gerald, um, Hope Katraki, uh, you know, uh, uh, MJ Carmi, people who have been involved in our productions still do a lot of film, but they make a point to do theater. Eddie uh, says he gives himself one theater production a year and he just resigns to that. He goes, this is my, this is the time of the year that I'm going to do theater and, and that's it. You know, and that's really wonderful to work with actors and, and artists like that. Um, so, as far as as a producer goes, as far what would you say is the best way to get to get people in the seats <laughs> in in Los, in, a, in Los Angeles theater in your that's seats? A real uh, double cast that's, 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 that's a tough one. <laughs> the solution is, is here right now. Solution is all the producers in LA. Double casting is the solution. <laughs> Did you die a little bit inside when you said that? <laughs> <laughs> Um, I mean, there's there's so much trial and error, and, and it's it's been such a, I mean, wonderful and horrible learning experience. Um, 
time of year that your show goes on is a crazy factor. Um, your show days, uh, cast size, yeah. um, marketing, author recognizability, um, reviews. I mean, it all it all really ties in. I can. As a producer, I can usually count on my first weekend doing well because you get the friends and family situation going on with your cast and crew. Same thing with the closing weekend, and it's really tying those middle weeks together. That's uh, that's the producer's job. Um, yeah, that's the grind. That's getting on the phone. That's that's hustling up groups. That's offering discounts. That's really getting involved with other theater companies. It's really that's when the relationships that you built start to show themselves. Yeah, and Carrie, I mean, you did you did wounded. At yeah. the lounge, it's pretty. At least with the Fringe, one of the bigger venues, mm-hmm. you sold out every show. Fringe is different. I mean, it's very different than obviously than when you're doing a show in the re- regular season. But you're also competing against 380 shows. So everyone's out there and they want to see theater. Right. But how's the producer? Did you make Wounded stand out enough for people to see it? Oh, you're right. That's like a what 150 shows at the Fringe that, right. that stand one. out in that. That's that's a lot. Yeah, it was it was just about 400 this year. 400 yeah. shows. Yeah, wow, that was um, just a little shy. Just a little shy. <laughs> just a little shy. I didn't want to like correct you, that, but yeah, he's Please right. Correct me. <laughs> Please correct me. I should be correcting. To be yeah. honest, with, yeah, with that, uh, really, we we worked it into our budget to be able to comp pretty much everyone at the preview, uh, working with the hope that. You know, this is where ego helps and plays a part with the hope that it would be really well received and help sales from then on out. So, you know, that first performance, we probably had maybe, for for our preview, we maybe had all of about, like, seven people out of 56 that actually paid for their tickets. You know, maybe 10. But How are you making your money? Right. But that's because when we worked out an original, when we did our first budget and did um, GoFundMe and all of that, we had it, uh, no, we did Indiegogo. We had it worked in, like, this money is to be able to essentially comp the preview. Mm-hmm. And so that was worked into our budget ahead of time. Oh. Yeah. And so from there, based on it, we got very positive feedback. I made sure to have several reviewers that I had relationships with there at the preview. Uh, based off of all of that, like the moment that happened and we started to really get a positive response. And that's a nice thing about the community of the Fringe. Like we were very fortunate in that it seemed to pretty quickly become one of the shows that when people were like, okay, what's actually good at Fringe? It's one of the ones that people started talking about. And I think that's because we worked it out. So essentially all 60 seats at the lounge were pretty much free for that first show. So it could rely on word of mouth. The thing, the thing about Fringe, that this is is about the third year I've, I've I've gone to Fringe and reviewed it. I mean, it's so bare bones everything is so bare bones you better have good writing yes. yeah. Yeah. If the, you, so much, there's, there's a lot there's um, there's a lot of things that you can get away a lot of bad writing not necessarily bad writing but a lot of bad writing sometimes can get away with with good actors mm-hmm. and some good and a, a little bit more money you can kind of hide it yeah. sometimes sometimes not often but there's nothing to hide in these French shows like yeah. you have you either have good writing and you have like one or two people and like no set, mm-hmm. or, or, it's, or it's bad. So you really, I guess it's a great, it's a great testing ground to, to really see if you've written something really well. Yeah, uh, 
Yeah, because it, it was a it was only a cast of three, so we very much weren't able to rely on you know like each cast member. I would say probably brought in like ten to twelve people, that, but that wouldn't even fill you know like one house. Um, so it it very much was a testament to how good the show was as a whole. Like our director Liz Lanier was amazing. The cast was uh, very very good overall. Um, if Wounded was able to get some extra money, like, mm-hmm. it, this was bare bones, three people. You said it, very very simple. But if you were able to get more money, mm. and, uh, would you do you think Wounded could be improved or expanded to make it into something? Something more elaborate. You think it's kind of you, you kind of wrote it to, for simplicity, and it's it, it's at a place where you're happy with as far as the story is concerned. From the story perspective, I think it's the piece it wants to be. Um, yeah, because I yeah, it, it, it's it's meant to be intimate. It's meant to have this claustrophobic feel. And I didn't write it specifically with Fringe in mind, but when Fringe became an option, it was clearly just based off of how I had written it, the show that would best work in that way. Um, Of course, there would be ways, you know, with more of a budget to have, like, a set that more specifically conveyed the characters and conveyed even more of a sense of everyone feeling trapped and that sort of thing. And um, building the... It relies heavily on a live baby monitor in the show, and sound could really be like fixed and emphasized with more of a budget but as far as the story itself um i i wrote that just with the story in mind not with fringe in mind i think i think that's probably why it probably did so well um i think i I hear so many a a lot of times people tell telling me oh they create they created the story they're putting it at fringe so that they can get more uh, more recognition for this play or more recognition with the story. So mm. now I can get more money for it. So now I can write and I can write the story bigger or better. Right. Now, now, now that I have money, but then you're you're probably not writing the best story because yeah. you're, you're you're writing just a story as though you can get to that story. Right. And uh, so if you if you're writing a story and you made this this self-contained story where you're like this is the story I wanted to tell. Yeah. You, it's just it's just very simple. But for a good reason, and there's reasons. I think you're going to come up with a better, better, better material. And maybe later on, maybe you do want to expand it, but you don't have to. Yeah. It felt like you gave it all, you gave it your all. And I think people, I think people can tell when they're watching something that looks like it's only been halfway done. Right. I think people can tell. Yeah, we Not were some people. Yes. Yeah. Not that that happens at Fringe. No, 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 no. And thank goodness not everyone can tell. <laughs> Let me say that. No, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, sometimes it's a, it's a saving grace that uh, not everyone can tell. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 it is, it is. I'm, I'm, I'm extra critical. <laughs> no, but I, I will say that, you know, Sexy one of the... Yes. <laughs> one of the great things me and the director, Liz, and my oh. producing partner, Tanya, um, agreed on early on is we didn't want any element, element of it to only be okay from the perspective of, oh, it's good for a fringe show. We didn't want that qualifier to, to have to be added on to any portion of it. Even, you know, like our set was very simple but we wanted to as much as we could give that sense of confinement to it and build it in a way where you know you have this tiny rug that's sort of a centerpiece of it because it's a sense of thematically this island that she's stuck on that she's not able to get off of so the simplicity was meant to be um 
a storytelling element, a thematic element, rather than just, oh, this is all they could do for Fringe. So that was very much in mind as we were conceiving it. Yeah. All right, so guys, um, thank you for telling us a little bit about yourselves. As far as uh, shows and theater this year, have you guys um, seen any, any shows this year besides stuff that you you have to obviously work on? <laughs> any, any stuff other people have worked on? That, that you will that you will <laughs> we'll, oh, we, we'll save that for later. But any shows that you've seen... Uh, maybe that you in in the Los Angeles area, in the Orange County area, that maybe that you guys enjoyed this year. Uh, any thoughts? Um, let's see. Um, geez. It's like when did the year start? It was like, this, time, this time, this time yeah, last like, year. Like, there were Olympics this year. Right. Like, wow, that's right. Yeah, like Black Panther came just, out this year. That was this year. Wow, it seems. Whoa, it seems like. It seems so much longer. Seems so much longer. That's a, that's a real surprise. Remember that Yodeling yeah. kid, that viral video of the kid Yodeling? That was this year? Yeah, yeah, that yeah. was this year. That was 2018. Yeah. That's a it's, it's good that you missed it. Don't worry. <laughs> that's, that's not so important. Yeah, that's not so important. <laughs> oh, you heard one person Yodeling, you've heard a lot of people. Jeez, <laughs> um, you know, and I'm so bad with titles and names and all this. I saw yeah, no, no um, the Antias Theater Company did a production this year. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. They're. I mean, yeah. they've really grown and exploded in such a great way. Um, uh, was it th- something in the country is a uh, remake of uh, a Russian drama um, from the same guy that wrote Closer. And I'm gonna be horrible with the name, but I'll remember it and like send you an email later. And be like, Patrick, please cut edit this. But this was the name of the play I was thinking of. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that was a really, they did a great job with that one. It was just a kitchen sink drama, you know, really classic one, but they did it very, very well. Let me see if I can look it up. Yeah, yes. Three Days in the Country, maybe? I don't know. Okay. Yeah, exactly. It's going to be one of those titles. You're like, oh, yeah, so, yeah, that's, they could have named that 12 different things. Um, (laughs) What what, what about it um, really stuck out to you? uh, They did it partially in the round. Uh, which is always a, three days in the country. Andrew, <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Drag it. That. <laughs> was that during the Olympics? When was um, probably probably? <laughs> it was ovation recommended. Yeah, it was. Uh, they did a very good job of taking a classic drama and just really not making you feel like it was a drama in, the, yeah. in that sense. Um, really allowed the comedy to come through. Um, it was. Was it a comedy? No, it wasn't a comedy, no, it was but, not a com- comedy. but they let the comedy they, go. Yeah, there exactly, was little comedy. Yeah. And you have to for, for heavy dramas like that. I mean, the yeah. comedy has to set in there or, or an audience you're going to be looking for your exit sign. Um, yeah, they just did a very, very good job with that, handling the language and letting the jokes land when they needed to land. And just, I was like, oh, that was just, it was just professional theater um, done in a space that, um, that it's now really getting to that place. And it was just really exciting to to see and to feel. It felt very San Francisco and Chicago. It felt very Chicago to me, seeing Chicago that. Chicago in, in L.A. In L.A., you know, yeah. Glendale. That's Glendale. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, cool. um, so it was, nice. it was just nice to, to have that. Um, uh, Atwater did... Um, well, they had a production this year as well that was very, very... Oh, Cake. Cake, cake, cake. Uh, cake. Uh, you saw, you saw that show. Cake was this year, right? What? I thought it was, I thought it was 2017. He re- Matthew actually reviewed this show, and um, it had the lady from that 70s show. Deborah Jo Rock. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was 2017, and was then Devin tw- Playhouse was 2018. Oh, that's they might have played twice. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Because yeah. I'm thinking, I man, I'm crazy. My life, <laughs> <laughs> my life is getting I remember wild. when you reviewed that, and I was like, man, I don't know if that was 2018. I think you reviewed it in 2017. I did. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I went back. Got I went, it. I went gotcha. back, but you might be, you might be right. No, I, yeah, probably not. It was really, I'm like, that's how these shows grab me. <laughs> yeah. It was um, very late 17, if I remember yes. correctly. So yeah. that might be... Yeah, yeah, it was Echo. Yeah, yeah. Echo Theater Company, yeah. It's been a long time, but I, I think I remember something about it's like uh, it's set in the South or something. North Carolina. North Carolina and in, in late. Um, it's a it's wedding cakes and gay and gay, 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 marriage. gay, gay marriage. marriage. It's a whole in, in these in these in these kind of political things you're going in through. Right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Interesting. Wonderfully, I mean, you know, if we're right, we might be wrong, and I, I might be uh, correcting you for no reason. But it was one of my top three favorite plays of 2017. Yeah. I just thought it was so. It, it took a very, it took an issue that is usually oversimplified, and it made it very complex because. Particularly in Los Angeles, where we don't run into these problems as much. Typically, if you have a, a character who is a, a kind of more religious, and she she has reservations about homosexuality because of her religious beliefs, she's usually very one-dimensional. She's evil. She's like the villain in a reverse, like whatever the reverse of a Christian film is. She's the villain in it, you know, yeah. like a Law and Order SVU episode. And like, look right. at this yeah, person. Yeah, yeah. They just can't. Very but clear cut. Even though the play still tells you, you know, you shouldn't. This is it's wrong to discriminate against homosexuals. They they humanize her. They, she's not a demon. She has you sympathize with her and what she's being put through. Yeah. Um, so anyway, yeah. Yeah. Uh, whatever year that was in, that was a good one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, Jeremy Irons production uh, performance in uh, in. Uh, Long Days Journey. Yeah, Long Days was, was quite... Ex- if, if we're going to go to that level of theater, but yeah. uh, he really did a great job with that. Really, just a wonderful production. The set, the whole the whole thing. One of the shows when I walked into, I was like, okay, this is going to be good. <laughs> as soon as he saw this set, as soon as he saw the lighting, I was like, all right, this is going to be a nice experience. Thank you, Eugene O'Neill. I like some... Sometimes, for the most part, I agree with you. Sometimes, you, sometimes like that, the first thing you see is the set. So you see that set, and if that set looks really nice, you're like, "Yeah, I feel like I'm getting into a good situation." Fifty-fifty. I don't want to say any names, but yeah, there's a theater company like that. This looks so nice. This looks so nice. Oh wow, I'm so. Man, I, see. If, yeah, but, I don't but, like to talk shit, but I no, will. No, no, no. There, I, I will. I want to. He wants There's a theater company on the west side. They, they have a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, they can choose to do what they want to with it. Um, and they did a production. Something funny happened on the way to the gynecologist, or whatever. No, something funny happened on the way to the forum. No, that's the original. That's the original. They, they, they wrote they, they somebody they wrote another it. version of this where okay. their, their their parents are in a cancer ward, and it was horrible. It was not good, not good. But I'm wa- at this time. It's I'm hard watching to make this that play. funny too. Oh. Cancer ward. It's hard oh, to make my that, lord! And they want funny. to, and I'm like, this is. And I'm but at this time, I'm looking at the set. I'm like, man. This is a nice set. But yeah. If you leave the show, and the only thing you can say is, man, that was a nice set. Yeah, not he a good... He did not enjoy the show. No, he didn't no, enjoy true. it. Yeah, there was yeah. a gentleman beside me who was there with his wife who put headphones in, which was yeah. also another sign that the show was good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, plugged in. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
But speaking of headphones, did you yeah. guys see yeah. Race of Fantastic Mystic? Yeah, I saw Drake's original Friends from. Yeah, that's the version I saw as well. I saw it twice actually. I thought it was, I thought it was hysterical. I essentially, for me, it was like a better version of Noises Off because it accomplished the same level of hilarity in like half the time. Because the concept of the show, they're putting on this old classic from over a hundred years ago. This, it's not a real classic, but you know, it's like that whole like, oh, it's an old piece. I've, the director has translated it, but he's afraid that the audience won't understand how brilliant it is. So he has the audience wear headphones and he's commenting on the piece as it's on stage about like why he made all these choices and why the, yeah. And it's, it was absolutely hysterical. Like I loved it personally. I, that is, that sounds, that sounds hilarious. Yeah. Yeah, they can't just understand that this is good. I need to let you know why this is so amazing. This is so amazing. I, I gotta be honest. I was, I was rooting for your show to win Top of the Frame, but when they won, I, I wasn't upset. I was like, well, oh, I a hundred percent knew that like we were not gonna win the bad show. For one thing, like That's such a great concept. yeah, for for one thing, like their audience, their house was twice the size, so they had like at least twice as many people who saw the show. So I was like, just based on numbers alone, but on top of that, I was like, they're going to win and I'm okay with it because it's the most I've laughed in a theater in a long time. <laughs> but, yeah, I loved that one. Most of what I saw this year was at Fringe. There was, um, you probably know of a guy who did it as well, Jonathan Tipton Myers, the oh, show yes. We Are Traffic. Fantastic show. I thought it was beautifully done. It was a one-person show, yeah. and generally I'm pretty hesitant of those with the Fringe Festival. <laughs> yes. Because, here. yeah, because the lovely thing about it's, the Fringe... It's a challenge. It's yeah. A challenge. It's so challenging. Yeah, and what's nice about the Fringe is that, you know, anyone can do the Hollywood Fringe. Yes. What's horrible about the Fringe is that anyone can do the Hollywood Fringe. So, <laughs> you end up with a lot of people who really passionately want to share their stories, and it's very sincere, and it's really boring. Really boring, especially with solo shows, because they're often not coming from a place of, you know, what's the dramatic through line? What's the objective? They're just thinking like, oh, this mattered to me, so it must matter to everyone else. We Are Traffic was actually beautifully done because it was this guy's... Um, you know, story of being an Uber driver, but it was really well-crafted as far as how it dealt with this notion of human connection. It talked about his relationships at the same time and just this feeling of not being able to connect to anyone anymore on any level. And, and so it tied the whole thing together. I went in sort of being like, oh, okay, it'll have like some cute anecdotes about Uber and it'll be fine and I won't hate myself for the hour I spend watching it. But, <laughs> but it, it, it was... Something more. Yes. Yeah, it was, it was beautiful done and really talked a lot about how desensitized we can become to other human beings. So I, I really liked it. We are yeah. traffic. I think Uber is an app, not as a person who is driving this car. Yes. You know, yeah. Do you think it's going to continue somewhere else or where, where I could see it or... I don't know. Sure. I would. Look into it, right? Yeah, I mean, it's a one-person show. It's his piece. I don't think it would be hard for him to do it somewhere else, and I hope he gets to because, yeah, it's really well done. It was in um, the Broadwater's one of their smallest venues. Yeah, so, the Black Box. Yeah. And then he did it again at Stephanie Fury outside the Fringe. Oh, okay. Outside the Fringe in August, I believe. August or, or, 
or September, he did it again. So yeah, I think he, he'll, he'll probably do it again. You enjoyed yeah. the you enjoyed the show, Michael? Oh yeah, yeah. I, I did. I enjoyed the show. He actually did it the year before, a different version of the play, which I guess he wasn't happy with. It got good like feedback, but I guess he just wanted to try it again, and he really retooled it. I did not see the original run, so I saw the one uh, the same version that Carrie saw, and at the Broadwater. And I mean, I I just thought it was. A very enjoyable piece, and again, a surprise. It was something that could have easily been the solo show. Uh, uh, I'm working on a script right now where someone doesn't understand how theater works, and they ask, uh, they say, uh, you know, like, so what do you want me to do? And they try to explain what a solo show is, and he's like, so you want me to like masturbate? And he's like, no. And then someone says, someone says, well, some people do. <laughs> and uh, that's, I mean, that's how I feel sometimes about probably about a third of the solo shows I see. There's full frontal. Yeah, yes. exactly, exactly. Yes. <laughs> and those, sometimes that's the advertising you have to do to get people in the seats. Yeah, I if it gets them in the seats, I mean, who's going to complain? Yeah, I told yeah, um, people Blue Surge is about sex and, and cops and prostitutes, so, you know, whatever, perfect. whatever it takes. And, <laughs> yeah, that, the show that has nothing to do with that. But, <laughs> no, no, yeah. No, no, no. Um, I, in my opinion, when I, when I first heard that, because I, I, my reviews, I don't go in trying to learn anything. I like to be pleasantly surprised every single time. So I've gone to plenty of shows where I was just like, Oh, man. I probably should have read what this was, but this is not the way to do it. But Loose Surge, yeah, like, from the, just hearing it, um, I just like, oh, this is going to be about police in some way. Like, police, but, but when I went to see the show, completely, I mean, police aren't in it, but it's it was completely something else, completely than I was expecting from the, from the, from the, from the name. It went a completely different direction. Which I loved, it, which I loved. It. But I really, really did like this. Oh. It's a great script. It's a great script. It's a good choice for the show. She's, really a, the show. she's a great writer. Just a great writer. And yeah. with the at our at the theater company, we try to find great writers and then take like their B side. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because yeah. usually their B side is kind of where their soul really is. And I'm like, that's that's kind of fun to that's kind of fun to find. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, so for me, well, I, I wrote out a list of kind of shows that kind of really stuck out to me this year. So I thought I would just uh, just mention a few of the shows, and you, you guys could tell me if you top ten. Yeah, top five. Top five. Top five. Oh, say top five. Chris Yeah, yeah. You could tell. Me. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Rare Chris. Rare top five reference. Yeah, yeah. So, so this year, after 2018, I need to get to, into more shows. I really didn't do as many shows as I like to this year, but I mean, so when I say this, these are just the top shows that I actually got to see. It's not any best shows of all of Los Angeles because it's impossible for me to go to every show in Los Angeles though I'd love to I just can't make it I just can't do it I, I don't have the gas and and but uh, I do my very best and I'm going to try and do even better next year but the top five shows that really kind of stuck out to me this year was uh, The Glass Menagerie the number one one of them was The Glass Menagerie at the International City Theater in Long Beach this um show was surprisingly good because even better than I thought because I had read The Glass Menagerie years ago and I, I, I used to think it, well, it was pretty good pretty good I enjoyed it when I read it in high school but this was the first time seeing it staged and I was, I was like it was it was almost like watch, it, watching it was almost like watching it for the first time ever and I was like it, it's just one of those when I was watching the show it was just one of those reminders of some things are just written for the stage and 
just reading just reading it from the script just doesn't really do it justice. You really need to see it played on stage. And when I saw it played on the stage, I think ICT really did a great job putting this putting that show together. It was just, it was just yeah. It's probably one of my it's now it's probably one of my it's the best thing that theater that theater's ever done to, in, that I've seen and I've seen plenty of shows at ICT. Um, I think I think. The shows are, in my opinion, from what I've seen in different shows, usually this theater does... I've never seen a bad show from this theater, ICT, but they usually do, in my from, from what I've seen, pretty safe standard material, for the most part, from what I've seen. That, um, nothing that's really ever, like, really stuck out and something like that. But I would definitely say this was... And this, in you know... It was like I was going to the I was going there and I was thinking, oh, this is another safe piece of material ICT does again and stuff like that. But no, I they, not this time. I, they really, they really, the director they picked for this. I can't remember who directed this one, but he really, I think he really understands the story. And I think in the set was the set was beautiful, but the acting was good too. They actually, funny enough, one of the actresses, if I remember reading, was actually part of the Antidius Theater Company or did them and she was acting there, there stuff like that so there's that Antidius like connection coming in and uh, it was a very yeah it was just a very good very good story and oh man um, the acting was great really enjoyed this show so yeah I think ICT I think if you're listening to ICT I mean, <laughs> keep putting on shows like this uh, I, it, it's a, it's, it was just a fantastic show um, second would be uh, I really enjoyed um, this show called Big Fish, the musical. Uh, yeah, yeah. The the musical from the musical off of the Tim Burton movie. Uh, the chance uh, I've seen this show twice a stage before. The second time though at the Chance Theater, it's in Anaheim, was actually better. I'd seen one a bigger production out in Long, out in uh, Long Beach, and they had it was like it was like big big huge production it was still it was pretty it was it was good but this one at the chance that it was a lot more intimate a lot more intimate and i think it worked so much better on the, this this musical the big fish i think it worked so much better on a smaller scale than this the big scale the big scale that i saw it in the big scale the first one i the first one i saw the first the one i saw the first one i saw was uh, it was a big it was a big scale looked like it could be as big as broadway just, just thing but this one was more intimate and i felt like that worked better for the Big Fish the musical, which seems like a very like personal story between this father and the son relationship and stuff like that. Well, yeah, and it's so, also all about storytelling, right? It's, it's about like, storytelling. Yeah, it's yeah. Like having it be about them conveying the story to each other rather than <laughs> the big spectacle. Seems like it would make sense thematically. It, it worked so much better for me. I, yeah. I was thinking coming out of that, wow, this is smaller it's a smaller scale but I, I'm enjoying it so much more this yeah. show so much more it was really good um, have you, any of you guys ever seen that show no, no, no you ever seen it you saw the movie yeah, yeah. yeah. I thought yeah it's um, for me like I think that was like in my for my, just my opinion I felt like Tim Burton was kind of like slumping for a while and my I, I didn't like a lot of the stuff he was doing for a while and then Big Fish came out and I was like oh there, there you is. go, Tim Burton. <laughs> there you are. This is this is this is good stuff. Here. You can still do it. You yeah. still got you, you still got some stuff in there, you know, that that, that I really enjoy. It. Yeah. yeah. Um, let's see where where I got there. 
um, Valley of the Heart at the Mark Taper Forum in downtown Los Angeles. This was an interesting. This was an interesting play. Really liked it. It was a. Uh, this Japanese family and this Mexican family in World War II and looking it was a it was a very simple play but I uh, but I, I just I liked the the combination of cultures clashing and I thought they just did a really good job it was beautiful beautiful story beautiful set done very well um, I mean it's it, there's nothing profound or amazing about it but I think it was it was still a fun still a fun show and uh, it was an interesting uh, take on uh, World War II especially like you know it was a it was a well done kind of World War Two kind of Pearl Harbor kind of story and done in a different way. They've done those they've done those plenty of times, and they've done them really badly. <laughs> and this one wasn't one of those bad ones. Yeah. Um, actually, at the Fringe, it's on the list. I really really enjoyed. Uh, still, the play inspired by Four for Four at the Complex Theater. I really enjoyed this show. This was uh, I saw that one as well. This guy named Lucky Moore, and. Um, it was. I wasn't expecting to like the show as much as I did, but it had a. It, oh yeah, it was just the people in the background. But it's actually a. It was actually a pretty good show. Uh, not just pretty good, very good show. Good characters, and all the each uh, each each character had a, a specific kind of identity as far as. Um, people, it's it's a lot of people that like you feel like you've met before in your life, and you know they exist, and he was like. I'm going to put them in the play, and you, the characters all spoke very authentically, and it was it was just a very touching story. And I just remember uh, the way that play ended was what really got me the most. And it, like I like it made me re- like very rarely can I do I feel like I relate to a play or a story, but the ending of that play, oh man, I don't know if I want to ruin it, but you saw it, so you oh, yeah. that very that last scene. Of that play? Oh, it's it's. Oh it's, my gosh, it's man! It all, was, you know, man. I, when when so so I'm not gonna display, but he basically goes into the room because he wants to t- tell someone he knows something, but you know that person isn't there, right? And yeah, oh my gosh. It's a, it's a very real moment. And it, was, it was so real. It was a, he, the play I taught the You can only before. do that in place. Oh, you can only do it in place. You can only so do it never work like in that in film. Play. It would never work that way. Um, yeah. I talked to Lucky beforehand about it, and you know the characters, like you said, they kind of all represent different aspects of the Black diaspora. So they're all, but they were all done in a way. All of them had nuance to them. They weren't stereotypical versions. They, on the surface, they had it, and then as the play got, went on, you learned more about them. But um, I was very happy that that play was so good because Lucky was really pushing that play towards me. And uh, we had done like kind of a cross-promotion thing with that and Blackball, my play. And, you know, when someone like you really like is really pushing a play that they made to you, the worst thing in the world is to walk into the play and you don't like it. But I loved it. I, I loved the play. I really enjoyed myself. So I didn't have to lie. And that was like, it felt so good. I was like, oh. I was like, dude, I loved it, you know, and I didn't have to sit there and be like, oh, it was, it, I was in it, like, you know, I was engaged. You know? That was a show. That was a show I saw. Congratulations. You know? Or the best, or the best word, and my wife hates this, whenever I, whenever I say anything that's, anything is interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
my wife hates my wife hates that story. Oh, it was interesting. Interesting. I think my work is interesting. Yeah, right. Yeah. Everything's interesting. How'd you learn all those yeah. lines? <laughs> Everything's interesting. That's a good one. <laughs> yeah, how'd you learn those lines? I can't believe you did that. <laughs> Great. I'm glad you came. There was a lot going on. That's another, that's another blanket one you can put down. Uh, I'm telling people this, and this is going to come back to bite me in the butt one day, because I'm going to say that in genuinely like a play, and someone's going to be like, oh, wait a second. What do you mean? And I was like, no, no, it really was an interesting play. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, just probably be careful. Uh, in fifth, as far as 2008, it was actually at the Antietis Theater in Glendale. It was Native Son. Oh, yeah, exactly. They did this very good production of Native Son. Um, it's just, um, it's, a, it's a very sad, sad story. Um, I had never even heard of it before. Never. But, it, but it's a very classic. It's been around. It's an old story that's been around for a really long time. So if you if you take the chance to see it, listen to it. It's a very, it's a very sad, uh, tough story. I saw their lineup for this coming season, and they're doing some more contemporary stuff, which is exciting. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is gonna be really exciting. I think they're doing a McDonough piece. Um, Finishment. So I'm like, oh no! All right, Diaz is doing McDonough. Okay. <laughs> oh, uh, okay. I'm definitely gonna keep my eye out for that. It's the gentlest McDonough piece. Oh, the gentlest, the gentlest ones. Yeah. <laughs> it's all relative, right? right. <laughs> I saw a skeleton crew at the Gap this year, and I had a friend that worked on that. It was a great, great, great show. I was, yes. I got excited about the writing. Um, yeah. I mean, the Geffen does a great job of spending their money on their sets and, and everything else. Um, but uh, the whole time I was watching it, I'm like, man, this writing is good. It's just really, really good writing. She's, she's exceptional. Very Americana. But the story was just, oh, it was great. Like, I, I was really excited to see that kind of writing uh, coming through that space finally. Um, yeah, that was a good show. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, just while we're on McDonough, I want to see a I want to see a professional theater do Pillow Man. I'm tired of like seeing kids right out of college do that show. <laughs> I mean, good for them, but like it's an amazing show, and it's so often done by like college students. That anyway, sorry. If anyone does Pillow Man, I will come see it. Yeah, I did. You got one ticket sold already. I want to see. I want to see it. I want to see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had my. I didn't get to see it. One of my friends reviewed it. He got to see it. Yeah, yeah. He said he loved that. Yeah, we did. We did the hand in life, McDonough. Yeah. And uh, McDonough's my guy, he's man. Good. He's good. Man, in, in, in Bruges, man. In Bruges, man. Yeah, he's he's an, exce- an exceptional writer. And I'm not sure if it's a rumor that he punched Sean Connery, but I like that story even if he didn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, okay, I'm, I'm gonna go to mine really yeah, quick yeah. here. I'm not gonna, but um, I have. I'll, I'll do my quick. I, I saw 93 shows for stage productions this year. So, so boring down the five is totally unfair for me. And I, there's so many I missed. There's so many I didn't make. I like beat myself up if a friend has done a show and I don't make it for some reason. Particularly when they're like, we're doing it for this one weekend only, and I'm like, well, okay. <laughs> Good luck, man. But um, so some quick honorable mentions. Uh, the Seagull at the Atwater Village Theater. They did it actually as a comedy because that's how it's supposed to be done. Um, For the most part, it works. The acting is very strong. I think... I think it... It's just kind of an odd play to do. I think there's a reason that we have adapted it to be a serious story, because it's very dramatic. 
I, however, I will say it is much more believable as a comedy than as a drama because you start to see how over and melodramatic many of these people are, and that makes it a little bit more palpable. Um, so I saw Snap Honey by Matt Atkins at Studio Sage, Echoes by Henry Naylor at the um, Broadwater, Traffic 2.0. I kind of put an asterisk next to this. I was the mentor. This was my mentee at the Hollywood Fringe. But she did an interact. It was a uh, it was a dance. It was all, almost all dance with a little story, and it was about uh, sexual slavery and sex, sex trafficking. Very bold thing to take on. She worked so hard. The dancing was phenomenal. The lighting design was off the charts. It was something that I was legitimately. I've always been proud of the people who've been my mentees. But this was something that I was like, this is on a different level. This is something that. You're truly trying something totally bold and different. Yeah. Uh, so I, I really like that one. Stand on the March by Naomi Brodkin. That was at Broadwater. Dr. Zuma's Go Show Terror by David Lucarelli. I'm going to pronounce it wrong. At the Complex. The Woman is Perfected by Ruth Fowler. That was also at the Broadwater. Ain't That America by John Brandon. That was also at the Broadwater. And I'm, I'm not going to spend too long on these five because we've been talking for a while. Um, I'm going to go from five to one on this one. But uh, number five is uh, This Almost Joy by Barbara Lindsay. This played at Inkfest and at The Fringe. Um, I don't want to spoil too much about it because part of it is a surprise. But it's essentially this guy coming out, and he's an actor, and he's talking to the audience, and he's telling them what he's doing in his process. And as time goes on, it becomes very unnerving what happens on stage. And it's the kind of play to watch if you've been watching a lot of plays recently, if you've been going to a lot of theater, it's going to really mess you up because it, he, he makes the audience a part of the experience. And at first, you're like, this is fun. But then when things start going wrong, you feel like you're partially to blame for this guy doing stuff that's upsetting everyone around him. Um, and it was really well acted. Bliss or Emily Post is Dead by Jimmy Brandy at the Atwater. This was actually the last play I saw of the year. So this is play 93. And um, I, barely, I snuck in. I got there at the closing night. And it's a really good play. It hit on all my favorite themes. Historical fiction, Greek mythology, uh, feminism... Uh, sexual liberation, uh, interracial unions, all that was in this play, and it just like that was just too much for me not to ignore it. So, um, you had a, this play had a lot going on. It's like, like a blue year low. Check, 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 check. Wow, wow. These are this, all was this, this was written for me. Yeah, like I was sitting there, like, wow. Uh, <laughs> I was coming. Um, and number three is I Can Hear You Now by Mitchell Bishop. That was at the complex. Hilarious, hilarious. The funniest show of the year for me. It's a solo show, but it knocks it out of the part. It's this guy who discovers that his father is an actor from one of those like '90s ads, and so he goes to all these famous '90s mascots and characters, from, like the woman, like "Help, I fall and I can't get up," like the Noid from Domino's, and he's talking to all these people, and it is. I was laughing so hard watching these performances because it, it just was mind-blowingly funny. Can't recommend enough. Number two uh, is actually Wounded by you, Carrie. I, I, I enjoyed that play. When I saw that play, I was sitting there and I was like, this is a play that should be on Off-Broadway. That's like my immediate thought. I'm glad you got to go to Off-Broadway. Yeah, because like as soon as I saw it, I was like, this is should be on Off-Broadway. This is like a top-tier production. And again, it, it, it did deal with stuff that I am a sucker for. Like, um, 
very uh, strained romantic relationships where it's not that the people don't love each other, it's just the situation has changed. And yep. what does that mean? And um, I have uh, one of my very dear friends works in, with the VA and works with PTSD, so I've heard not... She obviously can't tell me the individual people, but I've heard just kind of through proxy what she's had to deal with. And so that, that kind of struck a core with me. And then number one, I got to go with us. This was a tough... I At one point, it wasn't even on my top five list, but then I was like, as I more thought about it, I really wanted to put it on. And that was Sunny Afternoon by Christian... I'm going to pronounce this name wrong. Legation? Legation? Christian Legation? Who also acts in it. Sunday afternoon... This is at the Lounge Theater, right? No, this is actually at the Complex. Complex. Uh, on their flight stage. It was act- It's actually about the assassination of JFK and the immediate after that math of that with the, the deputy, the chief of the police, and how they... Why things got messed up and why things went a certain way. Um, it does play a little bit into the JFK conspiracy, but even without that, taking all that out, it's just a very well done, again, historical fiction, sucker for it, but uh, it was, yeah, you know, just check the box, but it's, it does everything so well. It had a tremendous cast. It was so well acted, so well directed. The set was simple, but very well done. They took these f- police file boxes that had holes in it, and they would have lights come in. And the lights came in, and it gave this very real feel of like there was a larger hallway behind there, that there was sometimes when they did these kind of kind of crazy conspiracy moments, it felt like very otherworldly. Um, just great use of the space. Um, when I was there, it was only about half capacity, which is such a shame. I, I, I think it was such a really great show, but it was it was advertised as part of this thing called The Big Event, which was three shows that all kind of had a streamlined connection, but were very different and very different genres. Sunny Afternoon had a little comedic element, but it was essentially a drama. And then if you waited, you could see... Uh, King Dick was about Richard Nixon and Elvis meeting, which is a, a farce, a screwball comedy. And then there was another one called Meantime at Hojo's, which is kind of a dramedy, kind of goes back into Sunday afternoon territory. And I think it was just a very hard thing to advertise because people didn't realize that they were watching three plays at once, that you had to get three plays. And, you know, each play was about, I went on a pay what you can, each play was about $25. Each, you know, that's seventy-five bucks. Yeah. You know, and that's a lot. That's a lot of, for for people. Um, it, it would have been, yeah. <laughs> you know? So, uh, but it was something that I I hope if it comes back, people do go out and seek. Um, because all three of the shows are great, but I, I had to kind of pick one, and I felt Sunny Afternoon was the best of the three, in my opinion. Again, playing to my. Um, Lust. You're, you're feeling your lust for theater. Yeah. Hey, there's worse lusts than that. So that's yeah, that's true. Out. That's true. Um, so, yeah, and uh, like Matt said, we've been talking for quite a bit. I just kind of had one last question. I kind of wanted to kind of phrase to all of you guys because it kind of seems from what I've been seeing is in uh, L.A. theater and stuff like that, it seems like it's been a big, it's a big thing, in, especially here. Uh, not necessarily as much in other parts of the country. Maybe, maybe in New York, but... Um, 
immersive theater seems to be yeah. becoming more and more big. A few years ago, you'd maybe see one or two, a few immersive theater shows. Now you're seeing them pop up, so many more pop up. And, pop up. So, and it's definitely becoming more of a thing in Los Angeles. And you think, do you think uh, immersive theater is uh, just a trend, a fad? Do you think this is uh, the next big thing as far as uh, theater goes, as far as in Los Angeles? What are, do you guys have any opinions or thoughts on immersive theater? Would you want to do immersive theater? Have you done immersive theater? You have. Because you mentioned it. So I'd love to hear, love to hear you guys' thoughts on immersive theater and what you think about it. I, uh, I definitely want to talk about it too because I've experienced some pretty good stuff, I think, actually, from, from that. Yeah, well, um, I'll get back to it, but I was actually going to add to the best of this year, a oh, show yeah. called oh, Delusion sure. Blue Blade, which is immersive. Yes. And um, have you guys had a chance to see it? Yet? Delusion Blue Blade. I've heard no, of it, no. no, I have not yes. seen it's, it. Yet beautifully done. The production value is on a completely different level from anything I've seen before. Um, but I'll get back to that with a point I'm going to make later. But yeah, the one that I've been doing the last couple of years is Wicked Lit. And that one, um, immersive theater is really exploding in LA. And yeah, and it's already sort of like they're sort of working out different definitions of it and there are people that would argue Wicked Lit is much more along the lines of site-specific theater, what I've been doing which is where you know, you're know you in a location and you're really using that specific location to tell the story like it's actually supposed to be in a mausoleum yes. but the audience isn't really a character themselves, it's more fly on the wall just in a really cool space Yeah. the immersive that seems to really be taking off or is the stuff where the audience is becoming more and more an integrated part of the story. And I think the reason for that is that, you know, I one, it can almost essentially become a live video game. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people have all that... Even people that generally wouldn't be theatergoers do have a connection to that feeling, that notion of, oh, I get to be a player in this. And so I think it taps into an audience space that normal theater doesn't, that traditional theater doesn't always necessarily get. The younger Um, audience, maybe. Maybe definitely younger people. Yes. I I would say that that seems to be the case. I don't know the numbers, but yeah, I would say that seems likely. Um, And like where video games are going because the graphics are getting so good, the storytelling's getting so good, it should... (laughs) arguably become more emotionally satisfying because you can really be at the heart of a story. Most of the, even the best immersive theater that I've seen here so far, my, even the stuff I've loved where I'm like, wow, I really feel like I'm in the middle of this space. I'm still missing the level of story that comes from traditional theater as far as able, being able to go on a single linear arc that builds and in a in an inevitable but surprising way because when you have an immersive story where the audience gets to make choices, it's tough to have every one of those choices lead to the same level of emotionally satisfying and surprising consequences. So it's hard to tell as, you know, emotionally satisfying and morally um, sometimes, well, it's hard to tell a moral tale Right. In the same way, I, I I find. And I think that's still what's being grappled with right now. How much 
is immersive storytelling just about like, ooh, I get to be in there and get to, you know, say things to these people and how much is it about still going on a really emotional journey? And that's the sort of stuff that I respond to. And I think there are lots of strides being made further and further in that direction, but I haven't seen the piece yet that makes me go, yeah, that's as emotionally satisfying as some of the traditional theater I've seen, like The Humans, you know, or something like that, where because it can only end up one way, like, there's no doubt that it's, it's going to a really surprising emotionally crippling place because that's the only way this, the only way that story can be told um, I think immersive theater will get there and I'm excited to see how it develops and I think I think it's going to become more and more of a staple in LA I don't think it's going away anytime soon I think it's going to it's expanding every year and I think we're eventually going to f- sort of find the threshold of okay these are the number of immersive theater companies that sort of can exist yeah. because right now there are more and more and yeah they seem to be growing popping it, up well. yeah especially since people can literally just do them in a living room yeah. and have only an audience of four and just essentially do it like almost I think have there been some that have actually been on Airbnb I know escape oh, yeah, rooms yeah. have yeah yeah. Uh, yeah there's been a few actually I've been to one yeah um, so yeah <laughs> yeah so I think it's going to continue to grow eventually we're going to reach the threshold and it's gonna exist I think within that capacity but I don't think we've reached that capacity yet and I think right now everyone's excited about how big can we make immersive theater and then I think once that has kind of been answered it's gonna become more about how emotional can we make immersive theater that's just my take on it though I feel yeah. I feel like it's interesting that you said that. Yeah, there's definitely the immersive theater where it's like, yeah, they make you feel like you're part of the story. And then there's also the immersive theater where they also call it immersive theater, where it's just you're there, but you're just you're you're just viewing it. Right. And, I, and well, I'm no I'm no expert on this whole situation. I have to <laughs> I have to say I feel like it's hard for me, in my opinion to consider it immersive theater if the person isn't being the person that's there isn't being considered part of the story in a way because how are you then being immersed it's the exact it feel like it's just yeah you basically basically you're just it's almost like an excuse to say yeah we didn't want to pay for seats to sit down so you're gonna stand right and watch this play out <laughs> instead of sitting you are immersed <laughs> Do you feel immersed yet? Your feet are hurting. You've been, you've been standing for an hour. Right. Congratulations. So it's kind of hard. It's hard for me to to say. Uh, and I've seen stuff like this. Yeah. Where they called it immersive theater, and it's hard for me, in my opinion, to call it. I really do think you really have to. Uh, and this is coming from someone who's not an expert about this. But then again, this is a pretty, pretty new, pretty new thing. I mean, yeah. it's not brand new, but it's it's been around for a while. But still. Like you said, it's still developing, still be finding its legs. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I do think the yeah. stuff you're talking about where it's more just fly on the wall, I think yeah. that's eventually going to become more just defined as site-specific. Yeah. Like I said, there's already a lot of immersive people that don't like that stuff being called immersive, like you're right. saying, yeah. for yeah, those yeah. reasons. They get, they get pissed. Yeah. They, I went to an immersive show that at least was advertised as an immersive show. And yeah. 
uh, the only thing that happened that was immersive was that people were called from the audience to be on stage with the cast, and some people got very upset, like, this is not immersive theater. Yes. This is just participation theater for very select people, but no one else is a part of this, you know, and yeah. so, you know, they brought out food for everyone to eat, but they're like, that's just, that's just dinner theater. That's yeah. essentially what it got called, <laughs> you know, and I felt bad, I mean, because the show yeah. was actually decent. It could still be a good show. But yeah. it's just by putting that label on it, yeah. you know, everyone's just kind of like, oh, you know, I, I don't, it's not really that, so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. um, did you... As you wrote one, did you find it um, difficult to write it compared to, I mean, your traditional digital playwriting writing you usually do? Um, no, because, again, the stuff that I've written that's been... The thing I wrote for Wicked Lit last year was more immersive because I had more of the actors having to directly interact with the audience and have real back-and-forth dialogue. Yeah. And with that, with the way that piece was constructed... Um, each of the characters that I created were based on, they were each taken from a different short story. Um, and so at some point over the course of the evening, they tell like their story as far as why they're in purgatory, uh, which is where I set the whole thing. And um, yeah, and you know, it's essentially like the tale they're from, but from their perspective. And so a lot of the work that I did was, like, constructing all of them in this purgatory. I wrote the interactions between the characters, but along with the director of that, James Castle Stevens, um, we worked with the actors to figure out, like, how their interactions with the audience would go because those interactions didn't affect the course of the story. It was more like, okay, there's downtime to mingle with the audience. And so we essentially just did, like, improvs with the cast to make sure, like the sort of things they were ad-libbing with the test audience members like fit the world and fit their characters but um, I didn't have to write like okay these are the five possible responses you give based off of what the audience says like which is an interesting form of storytelling that I would like to do like sort of where it can like veer off in different directions but um yeah, the what what I wrote didn't didn't have that element to it, but I'd like to at some yeah. point. Yeah.